0: Welcome to the Mid-Stage Startup Momentum Podcast. Each week, we interview up and coming founders of some of the fastest growing mid-stage startups across the world. Your host is Roland Siebelink, who will share some of his own experience helping startups scale from 10 to 1,000 people in a few years. Here is Roland.
1: Hello and welcome to the Mid-Stage Startup Momentum Podcast. My name is Roland Siebelink and I'm a coach and facilitator for fast growing startups of which we have an amazing one in our studio today. It is uh, Sudashu Ahuja, if I pronounce that correctly. He's the founder and CEO of Impress.ai. Hello, Sud, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Roland, happy to be here. Excellent, excellent. So where are you dialing in from today, Sud? I'm based in Singapore. Uh,
0: Our company headquarters are here. I've been in Singapore for about 13 years.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Also a big startup hub these days, right? Singapore. That's uh, very exciting. So let's talk about the company, Impress.ai. What do you do? Who do you target? And what big difference do you make for your target group in the world?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. So Impress.ai makes accurate hiring of quality candidates easier for enterprise recruitment teams. Before we started, we noticed that a lot of recruiters were struggling with managing hiring for 30 to 40 different jobs in parallel, managing conversations with hundreds of candidates for all of those, and struggling to essentially figure out how to effectively uh, evaluate these candidates objectively. So we wanted to make a system that makes it easier for recruiters to hire more accurately at mm-hmm. scale. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's what AI e. does. We enable recruiters to autonomously interview candidates these interviews are done via chatbot, and the platform makes it extremely easy to set up these interviews based on competencies required for the job. That's probably our biggest differentiation as well. We are entirely based on IO psychology principles, mm-hmm. and the interviews that are done on the platform are based on competencies required for the job. So that's what our, our customers like.
1: And in what phase of the interview process, I wonder, does this chatbot come to the fore? Is it very early on or is it more when you're in the psychological testing phase? It's very early on. In okay. So
0: if you look at the hiring funnel, there's a top of the funnel, there's a mid-stage funnel uh, and there's a late part of the funnel where you know, mm-hmm. the hiring has been completed and the candidate has become an employee. So we focus on the, the mid stage or rather the uh, to quote your uh, interview name as well, we right. focus on the mid part of the funnel, but essentially in the hiring process, the, all of this is still the early uh, you know the early interviews, the pre-screening and the screening interviews that we do. So we enable recruiters to skip the phone interview. Uh, ah, okay. We of course don't remove the hiring manager interview. those are still essential. Uh, all we're doing is helping recruiters and hiring managers prioritize which candidates they want to speak to first.
1: So it's really about far more efficient screening of that huge candidate pool that's where you make a big difference. Exactly. And it's it's
0: about giving everyone an equal opportunity. Uh, mm-hmm. Every candidate who applies get a, gets an interview, even if it's with a chatbot. In the past, these same candidates won't ever hear back or, you know, they, they'd struggle to uh, you know get a response from the company. But mm-hmm. in our case, every candidate, those with a stellar resume and those with not so well written resumes also get objectively assessed and our customers find that many a times they're able to identify and hire candidates who they otherwise would have not even noticed.
1: Oh, that's very interesting. I was just going to ask about that. So now you can actually uh, not just avoid avoid the phone interviews for selection, but even the pre-filtering, as you say, where, uh, you know, based on what the CV looks like or a good school that may be on there or not, people might in a way be selected out very early, right? Uh, I've even heard, I'm not sure if you can confirm that, that many companies get so many CVs that they just look at the first 100 and all the rest that come in later, they don't even look at anymore.
0: Yeah, those those are the tales that we've heard just before starting the company. And those are the ones that shocked us. I think that companies in general have these heuristics where they look for certain universities, you know, the top 100 universities on the resume, or they look for people with high GPA
1: mm-hmm.
0: without giving it a thought that uh, many of most of these things don't really matter um, mm. as to you know doing well on the job. There are many people who may not have done well at university because they found that they you know they they were just studying the wrong thing. But on the job, they have the exact skills that you're looking for. So we enable large enterprises to cut through some of these heuristics and just focus on the skills required for the job and evaluating candidates for those uh, rather than having any preconceived notions of what predicts success.
1: That's awesome. And yes, I do indeed love that it's not just about efficiency, it's also about equity, right? Giving everyone an equal chance to participate in in the interview process. And I think we can, at least assume that a, a chatbot will not be putting in unconscious discrimination unless it's been given to them by the programmers, of course. It's always possible. <laughs> um, okay, so you already mentioned you're targeting large enterprises, right? So uh, how do you define lar- large enterprises and how is your go-to-market built to reach them?
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, just before I jump into that, you touched upon a very important point. With oh, okay. On, yeah, please on, go ahead. <laughs> on bias. So I thought I'll address that. So of one
1: of
0: the one of the great things about how we've built the platform is it's all white box algorithms. There's very little use, if any, of uh, algorithms that cannot be explained. The scoring that happens on our platform is based on competencies, based on questions asked to the candidates with which have objective answers. Uh, so we're really not using any. Uh, you know, black box algorithms where you don't know what what basis uh, it's scoring the candidate on. So our recruiters are actually able to modify these algorithms uh, in an explainable way. So that's something that we have invested mm-hmm. um, a lot of effort into right from the start, you know, being true to our principles of making hiring fairer. So just thought I, I'd, I'd touch upon that before moving back to your question.
1: And so you said, uh, going back to the go-to markets, your target group is large enterprises. Where do you do the cutoff? Like, how do you define them? Um, And then also, I'm curious, like, how do you break into these large enterprises and turn them from initial leads into uh, prospects and then customers?
0: Definitely. So large enterprises with more than 5,000 employees, Mm -hmm. uh, mostly regional companies, we do of course work with companies who are large within a country and may not have a lot of geographical presence but uh, our best cust- or, or rather uh, our fastest growing customers have been those with regional presence using multiple languages in multiple you know cities uh, in apac the way we approach these companies it's, with large enterprises i think a lot of the uh, audience may recognize that it's it's a lot about trust yes. in large enterprises whoever is making a decision or whoever is even making these evaluations does not want to be caught off guard for Mm -hmm. working with a startup. So establishing that trust takes time. Time is a critical component. Mm -hmm. Uh, It, of course, takes relationship. It takes a lot of signaling as well. I think whatever tools there are to build trust, including press releases, including having strong backers, and being able to show a team that knows what it's doing, all of these components become really important when you're working with large enterprises. And it, these don't matter as much in uh, you know, when, when you're working with smaller companies or with consumers. So to be able to do that, uh, some of the things that we've had to do is we've invested quite a bit in cybersecurity as a young startup, we're already SOC2 audited. Um, every year and we're investing in further standards which tell large enterprises what kind of standards we follow in cybersecurity. In terms of reaching out to companies, I think what's been most important is our early case studies. So getting Mm -hmm. the first one was of course the hardest. uh, One of our largest customers is a bank called DBS Bank and Mm -hmm. they were the first to see how we can transform the hiring experience both for recruiters and for candidates. They signed up with us pretty much in the year that we were founded, and they've been with us since renewing multiple times. Now, we were able to partner with them to do quite a bit of PR announcements. Mm -hmm. In fact, their marketing team churned out PR announcement after PR announcement about the results they were achieving. We were mentioned in their board meeting. So all of that added up to give us quite a bit of credibility in at least the Singapore market. And then we were able to leverage that and get backing from the Singapore government. So we're accredited Mm -hmm. by the Singapore government, which means that, you know, that's another stamp of approval, that this is a startup that knows what it's doing, the technology works. and Yes, and just uh,
1: maybe as as context for international listeners, uh, especially our American audiences, uh, the Singapore government is really a batch of quality. It's not like government approval in, in a bureaucratic country where the government is not trusted all that much, I would say, right? It, I would say Singapore is famous for having the best people go and work for government rather than for a private sector.
0: Oh, yeah. I actually used to work for the government. For of course you would. <laughs> before starting my own company. So, yeah, the, the kind of people who work in the Singapore government are some of the brightest you will find uh, anywhere in the world. And, you know, that, that was a perfect point to clarify. Probably, I uh, you know, I have that mindset in Singapore and this is a different stage. So mm-hmm. the Singapore government has been really supportive and we're, we're looking to use some of these similar strategies as we grow outside of Singapore. We have customers using us in 10 plus countries, uh, but... Some of the dominant ones for us as high priority markets are Australia, Hong Kong, and Taiwan. In these countries, we still need to establish more credibility, and we're using some of the same techniques we used in Singapore. Find a marquee client. Once you have that first one, do a fantastic job. make sure you shout about it with the uh, with the permission of the customer, mm-hmm. and that's how uh, you know you you get noticed as a startup where uh, we we talked about earlier getting trust from companies uh, getting trust from enterprises and one of the ways to do that is to elevate your brand so of course we're looking for companies who can elevate our own brand and based on you know the the, the solution that we're selling it's it's still uh, we're finding that we're in the early adoption stage so we have to look for early adopters yeah. uh, it's it's going to be probably a couple of years where this becomes mass adoption, you know, mm-hmm. using AI and recruitment is still, I would say in, in those early adoption stages. So we have to look for companies who are serious about digital transformation, who are willing to, to talk about it, who are willing to adopt it and you know, uh, experiment because uh, there's a lot of learning to be had when you implement these technologies.
1: So uh, I wanted to get back a little bit to, to developing software for the enterprise. So you've already touched on the security aspects but I had another interview this week that was also talking about other things that are just very different from uh, developing your typical SaaS software for small business markets. What have you found is in the product itself really important other than security for credibility in the enterprise?
0: I think large enterprises care a great deal about reporting. So that's been one of the key you know, different kinds of reporting and being able to get a data stream from the product that has become really important for many of our customers because internally also they have to report uh, what is this investment in this new product yielding Mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, continuously we've developed more and more reporting tools, more and more data stream pipelines. And the other thing that's important is, of course, I mean, user experience is at the center of everything now, because if you, if you don't have a great user experience, adoption gets much harder. But mm-hmm. uh, beyond that, what's important is actually being true to your promise. So if we are selling to the, to the enterprise based on a particular promise that will increase accuracy of hiring, that we're going to deliver efficiency, then we have to make sure that the product delivers that for them in their context. Because every large enterprise has their own culture, their own processes of hiring that have developed over the many you know, some many decades that they've been around. And the product may not have been built with that context in mind. But once you're in, you have to find a way to make sure you deliver on your promise. Otherwise, you'll be kicked out. So mm-hmm. strong customer success function plays a very important role in that. And that's something that we've had to invest in quite a bit
1: Yeah, yeah, very good. Okay, so out of the time since you've been working on this since 2017, so some four years now, right? What would you say have been the biggest successes, maybe the the biggest surprises almost that you were positively encouraged by that you may not have expected up front?
0: Probably one of the biggest ones was um, how important the government can be as a customer. That was Ah, surprising (laughs) because... Uh, you know, In the audience, also, people may think our government is mostly considered as slow-moving. I originally come from India, and that's where you, know, you don't usually sell to the government unless yes, you're exactly. a very well-established <laughs> player. So that was very, very surprising for us when we invested in some of these government programs to get accredited in Singapore. We saw that that had a huge branding effect with enterprises as well and now that we're expanding to Australia we've seen that they respect you know the Singapore government accreditation they can see that you know Singapore government doesn't just work with any company they they follow uh, high standards and when we got into these programs we had many different government agencies starting to buy from us and uh, that was an important flywheel effect because when Mm -hmm. we ended up working with one ministry they would talk to the other ministries, the other government agencies, and there's a lot of movement or internal mobility between the employees of one agency to the other due to their internal mobility program. So we started spreading really, really fast from one government agency to first 10 and then 20 and then 30. Wow. Uh, So uh, that took us by surprise how fast some of these deals were closing and we're, we're still maintaining that pace
1: that's amazing and uh, so yeah definitely also a good realization how important word of mouth can be even uh, in the enterprise sector right
0: exactly yeah these uh, i mean that that's one of the ways uh, trust is earned behind closed doors uh, mm-hmm. people talk about your company uh, when you're not present and if if they say a good thing about you over lunch then uh, you know you are you
1: are turning that into a very very qualified lead what has been harder than expected? Have you had some disappointments as a team, some things that you thought would be way easier?
0: Yeah, I, I think
1: one of the things that we
0: didn't probably invest in enough is, you know, marketing. And yeah. we find that even young, much younger startups than ours uh, have invested quite a bit in marketing, but don't have the kind of enterprise traction we have. So right. we've made certain trade-offs, which mm-hmm. I think in hindsight we felt that marketing would be easier than it has been. Uh, yep. Now I think our brand is better, uh, better known in Singapore uh, than it was say two years ago. But that's been thanks to our customers, and and uh, you know we've been a part of programs by some very large organizations, which has helped this. But that's probably something that we'd want to invest a lot more in it hasn't been easy. None of the co-founders have a marketing background or I see. they don't think like a marketer. Uh-huh. So I, th- I think in hindsight, that's something that we, we should have invested more in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the, most of the B2B businesses I talk to, and especially the enterprise, will typically reserve quite a substantial amount of their revenues for marketing and sales, of course. But even out of that, the marketing is still substantial. And I would say, a lot of people are shocked the first time they hear those percentages, but, you know, it pays back, right? It's something that you can immediately see uh, see come back. And so if you start managing it on a payback basis, like, then it only makes sense to invest more if it, if it starts generating more money. Absolutely. agree with you. Yeah. But it's not a lesson that uh, that we learn in engineering school, for example. Exactly. Right? So- <laughs> yeah. The three co-founders
0: are all engineers, uh, both two of them have PhDs in computer science, but neither has any marketing background well
1: oh, that's an interesting uh, point so uh, have you uh, become more conscious of that over time and maybe started to to diversify the leadership a little bit in that sense yeah definitely
0: continuously we've invested in talents that we ourselves lacked as mm-hmm. uh, you know engineers by training that has been extremely important to success and for marketing we're in the process of building that capability far more now. Uh, we've actually hired a marketing director uh, who is ex-agency uh, and very, very experienced in expanding brand. So all of these things are showing results and the company growth is, uh, is getting faster and you know our brand is getting bigger. That's excellent, okay.
1: So how big do you think Impress.ai will be in let's say 10 years from now? I think that there there's a large future for conversational
0: workflow automation. That's what we see developing as a large market in the future. Uh, If you look at the 10-year horizon, we believe that business workflow automation is always going to be a big thing. Wherever humans are interacting with software in an organization, there is uh, a possibility to have a conversational component there in a big, big way. We're all used to now messaging platform, all different kinds of messaging platforms. In fact, they're, they're taking hold in business they're taking hold in consumer tech as well. So we believe that conversational workflow automation will be a big movement in the future and we want to be a leading part of it. So in 10 years time, if you ask me, we'd be listed uh, probably on a US exchange and, and being at the forefront of uh, business workflow automation problem. I, I think uh, my biggest inspiration right now is uh, the company that I'm studying is ServiceNow. Yes. Uh, and that's that's one that I look up to.
1: Mm -hmm. okay yes a great example of a a company that had a great focus and then really built that uh, across the board also internationally and and started expanding from there very good so last question is always what have been some of the lessons learned that you would like to impress on other founders that come after you
0: yeah i think some of the things that have been really important to success i mean a, a lot of people might say this but um, resilience is paramount. You're going to go through uh, such difficult times. You're going to go through good times as well, but mostly it's going to be difficult times because yeah. you're trying to go against the natural order of things. Sometimes I, I like to talk to my friends about, about our journey and um, the way I think of it is a startup is a company that is not supposed to exist. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to work against the economic forces, and uh, you, you're pushing up a rock, up, uh, you know, up a hill. So there is a way to make it work. There is a way that you find that spot on the hill where you can start really performing. And until then, it's all about resilience. Even after that, as you grow to the next stage, it's uh, resilience is extremely important. So keeping that faith in the mission goes a long way. And that brings me to my second point, probably. Mm-hmm. Sticking to your founding principles. So, as as founders, I think it's really important to have uh, company values that are written down and agreed upon very early. And all recruitment, all hiring of the the rest of the team should be according to these early principles. And these principles will evolve, but I think the core threads remain the same. And that's worked out really well for us we didn't know that it was going to be this important Mm -hmm. but even today when our employees talk about the company to their own friends the things that they mention are you know company culture and how much everyone cares about each other the other very important thing is because we set the mission as making hiring fairer right from Mm -hmm. when uh, the company was starting our product team or our even our operations and sales team whenever we're developing new features we you, you, you were surprised by how many of them start asking, uh, "Oh, but this does this feature make hiring fairer? Is it aligned to our principles?" I love so it. You're you're able to see this impact of well-stated principles and make them more scalable throughout the company. So that's yeah. been probably one of the one of the biggest achievements I think uh, for me as a as a founder
1: to be able to spread that mm-hmm. mission across the company. And a great example of how indeed setting a few strong principles can really not only guide, but inspire your workforce much more than a revenue target ever could, right? So um, I think that's uh, that's absolutely best practice that you're showing there. So so, uh, last uh, question after the last question is, how can people listening to this podcast help you? What are you looking for? Where should they go for more info? And is there something they should test or download?
0: We're actually looking to find a market segment we we can work in in the U.S. market. Great. Uh, so we're looking for companies in the HR tech space who are mm-hmm. uh, who are selling assessments, who are selling HR tech solutions. Uh, these can be you know uh, we're looking for basically reseller partnerships or consulting partnerships where we can provide a recruitment automation solution for a certain segment of the market. So. Uh, that's really what we're getting out there for. And uh, yeah, if if there are any companies uh, whom this sounds interesting to, please feel free to reach out to us at our company website.
1: And that's uh, www.apress.ai, I think, right? Correct. Correct. Perfect. Okay. Well, so thank you so much for joining me today. This was an exciting and very interesting conversation. And yeah, I wish you all good luck in conquering the world that way and being a big public company 10 years from now. Thank
0: you so much, Roland, for the best wishes. And I, I hope to prove you right. Like what you heard, subscribe to this podcast, and leave a review. Tune in next time for more hot startups and interviews with some of the highest momentum startup founders in tech today.